Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, Featuring me, Mike Calvin, Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times and Dominic Fifield of The Athletic. So, the Champions League is back. The start of the group stages is one of the milestones of the season. Yet, this is no ordinary season. I don't know about you, but I'm missing the emotional intensity of a crowd more with every passing week. It's clear that players are more vulnerable than ever because of an overloaded schedule. The ACL injury suffered by Virgil van Dijk sums up football's inherent uncertainty. It certainly leaves Liverpool at a huge disadvantage. With margins at the top of the European game so fine, is the Champions League more open than usual, do you think, Johnny? I think everything is more open than usual, Mike. We're seeing that in the Premier League. We can look at all the different factors, I guess. I mean, the lack of crowds seems to me to be a huge leveller in games. We saw yesterday, for example, West Ham come back from three goals down against Spurs. I think if there's a, if there's a home crowd roaring the home team on, that West Ham probably don't do that. I think players are playing with more freedom, less pressure on them, which I think maybe gives those slightly lesser players who haven't had the ability to handle pressure that the really top ones do, I think it's given them a chance. So I think across football, we're seeing a levelling up or levelling down, it turns how you put it. And I think we'll see that in the Champions League. The injuries will cause a, a definite impact and the compacted nature of the, 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 the competition will have an impact as well. You know, we're, we're having less gap between group stage games and that will probably help smaller teams, I would think because the bigger ones usually have the, the ability to, I guess, rotate their squads and stuff like that. I think everything just seems very open at the moment, and I expect the Champions League to be exactly the same. Yeah, it just will, will obviously highlight the importance of deeper squads, which are obviously going to be more expensive. Let's look at Liverpool, if we could, Don, please. Is there a sense, and I think you got that from Everton as well, that you can get... You can get at Gomez and Matip if they're going to be the the central partnership. Yeah, we're we're essentially going back to the, well, the pre Van Dyke days when Liverpool did have a soft underbelly. I mean, that's probably the reality of it. Matip and, and Gomez are fine players in their own right, but then they're, they're not Virgil Van Dyke, and I think his presence alone probably raises their level slightly at, at his side. So it is going to be. A significant loss for Liverpool in the same way that Imeric Laporte was a significant loss for Manchester City last season, I suppose. It's dreadful news. I think it's bad news for the Premier League. It's bad news for the Champions League. You want to be seeing the better players, the best players out there performing every week. I was, I was, I was lucky enough to spend some time with Sol Campbell, you know, one of the great defenders of his era the other week. And, and he made the point that really Virgil van Dijk stands head and shoulders above everybody else at the moment in the Premier League in terms of central defenders. I mean, he's got everything going for him. He's had a poor start to the season. He he, he hasn't maybe looked quite the same player since or post-lockdown, really, maintaining those unbelievably high levels that he had, to, had done over the first six, seven months of last season. But he's still a player of such pedigree and, 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 and high calibre that he doesn't really have anybody else to challenge him other than possibly Laporte when he's when he's fully fit and I think just think it's a terrible terrible shame that it, that that his, he will be absent for a prolonged time and 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 the manner in which it happened as well is is dreadful. Yeah, you were there, Johnny. 
you know, by common consent, Jordan Pickford should have been sent off. Do you think there should be any retrospective action? Actually, to be honest, it seems as though there won't be. But And also, you know, you're in the ground and because of the lack of crowd, you're almost more aware of, of what the benches do. What was the mood like? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. I think the lack of crowd probably helps you pick body language up better. And you could see straight away, in, in, you know, Van Dyke's such a kind of cool character. He's not given to anger, but the minute it happened, he was just really angry at this challenge. And you could see him walking off the sheer you know, contempt, annoyance for what had just occurred for him. Because, and it, what, I completely get that from his point of view. You know, he's like an innocent bystander when a madman comes flying out and, and, and does something absolutely ludicrous. And through no fault of Van Dyke's own, he ends up being out for six months. You know, wrong place, wrong goalkeeper to be to be stood near. I, 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 it was a mind-bogglingly reckless thing for Pickford to do. And, and the rules that we're debating all the time at the moment, again, in this instance, don't seem to make particular sense. I think the rationale that we were given for the referee not sending him off or, or even giving a penalty, etc., was, was that he was in, in an offside position. So, therefore... The challenge only took place because he was standing in an illegal position. You know, the collision would not have happened had he been in a legal position, is the logic. But that's just semantics, isn't it? Just semantics. Of course, because this is where we are with, with, with refereeing. This is where we are with the way the rules are being interpreted. Because, yeah, that's kind of like, that, that, that's procedural semantic nonsense that goes against common sense. If that's not reckless play, I don't know what is reckless play. And it's, uh, it, it, I, it, I just feel a sadness and a, an annoyance for Van Dyke on his behalf because for, you know, for, for absolutely no fault of his own, he is now going to miss a significant chunk of the season. And we will be looking back at that instant perhaps as, as, as a really important point for Liverpool because it does weaken them. And, and certainly this year, Europe would have been as big an objective as the Premier League. And um, I think in, with the fine margins in Europe, it might be even even more telling in the Champions League than in the Premier League. That does seem a bit weird, doesn't it, that Rhys James can be sent off after the final whistle for <laughs> saying something bad, and yet you can't send a, a player off just because an offside flag has, has gone off. I, I imagine there's a... I guess it's the difference between verbals and violent conduct or, 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 or whatever. I don't, there's probably semantics there as well, but it, there's a lack of consistency on that, in that, on that level as well. But we're, we're told... The, the VAR did actually look at the incident and didn't think it was <laughs> ascending off, which again well, baffles me, isn't it? Mm. Mind-boggling. And also, well, let's let's face it. You know, the Oliver family didn't have a great weekend, did they? You, know, you have Michael <laughs> Oliver, his his part in 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 the whole Pickford incident. Then his his wife Lucy showed Brighton's Kaylee Green two yellow cards yesterday and forgot to send her off. So it's not a great one in the in that household. Dom, what what do you think the incident tells us about Pickford's psyche? I thought it was really interesting. Dave Priest, who friend of the show and friend of, you know, personal friend of all of us. You know, he's saying and he is a big supporter of 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 Pickford. He said, "Look, it's not just the mistakes. His decision making is off, and that leads to hesitancy and bad positioning." And you know, pretty much He's saying, you know, Ancelotti's got a decision to make. Yeah, well, he does have a decision to make in the same way that Gareth Southgate would have a decision to make as to whether Jordan Pickford should be first choice for England. He, he looks like a player whose mind is a bit frazzled at the moment, that his, his confidence is low, he's, and that is affecting his decision-making, that's making bringing the hesitancy out. That was a panicked reaction on Saturday. I don't think it was... Malicious. It was just panicked and clumsy, and as he's a bit like a bull in a china shop, basically, he didn't know what he was doing. He was just sort of flinging himself around. But that I think that just is, is indicative of a frazzled mind, and it's hard. To, I mean, he, the strange thing is that Everton have been so good; they've had such a wonderful start to the season, and yet Jordan Pickford has been playing like this and has been a bit of a loose cannon, capable of brilliance, and he did pull off some great saves on Saturday, but also capable of either. <laughs> ruining someone's season or throwing one in. And, and I think he would probably would have been very frustrated with Henderson's, you know, winner in inverted columns had that had that actually stood because he probably should have kept that out as well. So he, he, there's an unpredictability about his performance and it's born of fragile confidence. And 
It just really depends on whether Carlo Ancelotti thinks he's got a, a backup that's capable of coming in and doing the same job. Uh, managers seem to to like the way that Pickford brings the ball out and, and, and what he does with his feet. Unfortunately, what he does with his gloves is letting him down at the moment. Well, it's a, it's, it's, it's a lack of calmness. It, it's, a, it's a mental thing. You know, technically, as a goalkeeper, he's fine. He's OK. He's probably not the best, but he's OK. But you know, so much of goalkeeping is how you project yourself and, and the decisions you make. You know, and I, for me, the counterpoint to Pickford would be Edwin van der Sar, who did, you don't remember van der Sar doing much in the way of great saves at all in a long career, but he didn't concede many goals when he was playing for Manchester United and the top clubs, and then he was fantastic for Fulham, and he and he he did that by exquisite decision making, total command of his box, and an absolute sense of calm. And and Pickford is 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 the exact opposite, and he'll never fulfil his potential as a goalkeeper unless he learns to calm down. You, you cannot have your goalkeeper as the most sort of hectic and hyped up player on the pitch, he should be the opposite. Mm. Are we in also in a stage, you know, it's very, very clear that Thiago is a wonderful footballer. Is he also a pretty obvious target? Mm. I think he I think he will be a target, but I also think he's 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 a sort of gnarly enough pro to to handle that. I mean I get he's a, he's a target because I, I guess his game's all about making that little extra second of, of of time and space for himself on the ball, and he was doing that even amid the kind of maelstrom of the of the derby, and and he ended up getting nailed by by Richarlison. But I thought his reaction to that was very telling. A lot of players would have really made something of that, and he was kind of up and ready to play again, which you know that's a kind of tough man's reaction. I've got no I've got no worries at all about Thiago how he'll handle anything in English football. I thought he he grew into the game in a really impressive way because it was far, it was far too quick for him at the start. I don't think he'd he'd faced that intensity for a long time, but it took him about fifteen minutes to get used to it, and then he was he was playing his passes. And I think the physical aspects the same. He'll he'll learn how to handle that. Mm-hmm. They're in Amsterdam on Wednesday for Ajax. Looks probable that Cater will be back after the COVID false positive. Let's look at Ajax, if we could, please, Dom. Do you think that Spurs' defeat in the Champions League was almost a turning point in their development cycle? You know, key elements of that team have been sold since, haven't they? Absolutely. The the core of that team is gone. And we saw Ziyech obviously leave earlier this year at the cancellation of the Dutch League and join Chelsea as well. And it's... It's ripped the heart out of that team, and it's it's almost it feels almost unrecognisable, really. But if any club out there is able to revitalise itself and 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 start again, regenerate an, another great team, then it it will be Ajax because that's what they do. That is how they exist. They're, they're constantly evolving the next big team, and they sell them off, and then they start again, and 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 it and it continues as a pattern, and you know. They may not. They may not be quite the same force. They certainly weren't the same force last season as they had been the previous year. I mean, you know, they, they played wonderfully well at Stamford Bridge in that that frenetic eight goal group game. But you know, Chelsea won over there in Amsterdam, which is and kept a clean sheet, which seems like something from a distant era, really. <laughs> um, I mean, so they weren't the same thing, same entity last year as they had been the previous year. But looking. They will find a way of evolving again and, and coming again, and 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 the, the very fact that they remain at the the top end of Dutch football, they'll always attract the best players in the in the Eredivisie and and uh, and continue evolving and, and and be great again in the next few years, I imagine, but probably not this year. Yeah, it, it does beg a regular question, Johnny. Why can't English clubs replicate their success in youth development? You know, you've got a club there that's brave enough to play its young players but also has a tried and tested method of developing them and nurturing them and bringing them through? It's a great question. And it'd almost be a sort of experiment for the Premier League if somebody tried to do it. I mean, it's it's so ingrained in Ajax's fabric that, you know, for example, when Donny van der Beek leaves the club, Ajax put out this beautiful video, you know, the story of Donny and, and we see him from little boy to, to leaving. And that's not just sentiment that they're doing that for. That's a business plan. They're doing that to show the next Donny van der Beek's, the lads in their academy and, and the lads that they want to sign next, that come with us and this is the journey that you will go on. And it will it will end up with you leaving us and going to one of the biggest clubs and the richest clubs. But, you know, you will you will make yourself as a person on the way. And it's it's a really... 
it's a powerful thing when you see it in action, but they commit to it fully and totally, as Dom said. And for someone to do it in the Premier League would be betting a lot on their ability to develop. I'd love to see them try, but there's probably a lack of confidence from Premier League clubs to do that because of the fear of of dropping out. But you've only got to look at the madness that Ajax's TV revenue is something in the region of £8 million a year compared to the lowest Premier League club on £100 million a year. And, you know, Ajax can produce players of this quality and 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 you know England of course we're we're producing clubs in, in Britain we're producing players of, of quality but nobody's doing it in the in the concentration that Ajax do so it, I don't know maybe a Brighton maybe, maybe somewhere down the line kind of club that might just try something like this but does the lack of competition in the in the Dutch league yeah. not allow them to do that I think that's an aspect isn't it because yeah they are the brand of youth development in one of the countries that's best of all youth development so so there is that of course as well and they are, yeah, they, they, they don't just get from Holland. They get, you know, they've got a kind of link to Scandinavia and they get the best kids from there. So that is a good point. But you'd think with the money that um, the Premier League clubs have got, somebody could stand out as, as being that team. Well, until Project Big Picture then rips up youth development and we start again. <laughs> <laughs> more, more of which later. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it'll be very, very early days, but van der Beek, seems to be underutilised by Manchester United. Now, Man United are at PSG on Tuesday. I suppose the obvious question, Dom, is can that defence stand up to that sort of test? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I don't, they weren't tested at Newcastle. They scored three goals effectively on the on the counter-attack at what they're best at in the latter stages to win that match. And to be honest with you, that might be their biggest opportunity at PSG because you'd imagine that PSG will monopolise the ball and it will be United playing on the counter-attack and that is their strength but the whether the the, the centre-halves we talk about Pickford having a, a fragile state of mind at, at present I, I know Harry Maguire did wonderfully well to to start that game at Newcastle and to score the goal but I think up against a, an Mbappe and and, and everything that, that that PSG will throw at United in midweek, I think that, that's a very different type of test. And we, we've seen him frazzled quite a lot of late, not least against Denmark playing for England. So I, 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 I would have my doubts as to whether we're going to see a stingy United performance. But that's not to say they... That's not to say that they might not get something out of the game because I do think they post such a when they click they have a they post such a great threat on the on the counter attack and if you if you get the likes of Rashford and Greenwood and Martial running at uh, defenders uh, who may be at a team that may be, may be over committing going forward then you know they will have opportunities and they could easily take them. Mm. What about PSG, Johnny? Uh, we used to sort of describing them as a as a vanity vehicle. Yet, did that perception change by getting to the final and you know losing narrowly to to Bayern? I think it did. It's it's it's, it's a funny one. I mean, I guess by dint of beating Atalanta, they almost they made a big jump in our perceptions. But but that was it. You know, the, the last. Last year, I say last year, it was about two months ago, wasn't it? But it, it just it, it's, it just seemed that they did take a bit of a step. And I think it was it was seeing them show that kind of, exactly the kind of inner fortitude that other teams have shown against them and they've been shown to be lacking in, in previous Champions League years. And, you know, when you, when you watch sport, you, you try and read into the values of, 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 of a team that you're watching every time you see them on the pitch and and what PSG seemed to lack that 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 fortitude seemed to tell you that you know this is a bit plastic this isn't a real project because when 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 the players are under pressure they don't there's nothing they dig into to to get them through and it just did seem that that was that was actually there in in that mini competition you could see the 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 the, the, the sort of bond that they had on the pitch and you could see Thomas Tuchel has a fairly decent relationship with the players and their grip on it and they've stuck with him they've stuck with his project despite setbacks and that that's something that they haven't necessarily done before and then I guess the angle as well as is, is, is you know Cavani who who probably won't be involved obviously but but I guess him leaving seems to just slightly dial the Hollywood factor down just a little bit and uh, yeah I, I, I think if I, I think basically this is a time because you know this is this is the team that's been been grown by Tuchel They've made that step 
in in the last competition, and it's it, you know this is probably going to be their best chance this this season. I would say to do something. Yeah, let's look at Chelsea. Dom, they've conceded, I think it's nine in five, so defence is likely to be a recurrent problem. If you look at there was a question asked to me on social media, which I thought was significant, and that is, who is doing the defensive coaching there? Do you know? Well, he doesn't apparently have a specific defensive coach. I and mean, we, we all assume, assume that Anthony Barry, when he came in from Wigan over the summer, would take up those duties because they've been so lacking to the to the tune of 54 goals conceded, I think, in the Premier League last season. But he's not, a, as far as I know, he's not a specific defensive coach. He's an all-round coach. It's almost got to the point now where there's a, it's Lampard's stubborn streak coming through and, and he's he has complete faith in in Edwards, Morris and and Barry and Hilario as his goalkeeping coach with a bit of lolly Sean, I suppose, chucked in, if need be. A bit of Petr Cech, actually, we saw quite recently. And it will be... That'll be what it's scrutinised this season because they needed to improve defensively. That was the, that was the big area where they could make progress. And, and so far, other than against a, a, an anemic Crystal Palace, they haven't really offered any assuredness at the back, any surety at the back at all. The big hope is Thiago Silva, another one of the sort of Hollywood players at PSG last season. He's 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 gone to to Chelsea on a free, but he wasn't available for the weekend after a long journey back from Peru, I think it was, with Brazil. And and my word, didn't they miss him? I mean, what they don't have at the back is a leader. They they, they don't have someone who who organizes a vocal figure in there who who directs players and and reminds them of their, of their responsibilities they've got players with talent i mean zuma's got something about him christensen has got something about him as piliqueta is an experienced defender albeit largely at fullback you know you can say the same for james and and and, and chilwell but they don't unless tiago is in there they don't have somebody that is going to tell them what to do and remind them to to do what they should be doing and the hope is that, that that is you know he plays against Sevilla in, in midweek and 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 can can organize and wrest some control across a back line that has not been protected particularly well by by the defensive midfield and hasn't been protected at the back by the goalkeeper and generally has has been rather panic stricken for a long time I'm I'm not necessarily I'm not sure what their defensive strategy is really because they don't they don't seem to have a a really top-class pressing game. You know, they do press a little bit, but they don't have a... They don't commit to it in the way that a Liverpool or, or, or Manchester City do. And yet they don't go for the, you know, the, the, the other thing, the Jose-style low block. They just seem to be a bit kind of... Defending's like, that's something that'll just happen, you know, when they've got the ball. And that's not what football... There needs to be a structure and a strategy. And I think, I think that's... That's a big issue for Frank to come up with to try and work out what that is and how that balances with all the attacking players on the pitch. There's not really any sign of it coming. Well, that's exactly the point. That he spent all the all the attention this summer has been on the Havertzes, the Verners, the Ziyech, the players that are going to a bit of pizzazz at one end of the pitch. But finding a, a way to get those guys into the team and his sort of, you know Mount as well, who's industrious and does what Frank wants him to do, etc and Conte and Jorginho, whatever, it's it's all a bit higgledy-piggledy at the moment. There's there's no there's no balance there. That's exactly the word. It's, it's, that's what they're lacking. You know, you, you wouldn't look at that Chelsea team. Okay, that Havertz and Werner had a great a great afternoon against Southampton at the weekend, but they conceded three goals. So, you know, actually thinking about it, he probably would have sacrificed the number 10 to get a bit more defensive surety at the back. I mean, that's... That's probably would have offered better balance, and they probably wouldn't have conceded three goals. Then, but they wouldn't have scored three goals. So it's 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 really it's 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 an ongoing debate in in Frank's mind, I think, and amongst his coaching staff as to how they how they balance his team. And they've almost got too many attacking options to consider, which makes their job far more complicated, actually. Mm. What do you think the optimal use of of Havertz and and, and Werner and, and Zayech and Pulisic and you know, Uncle Tom Cobley and all? <laughs> I see it. I mean, it's. I mean, Havertz, you'd imagine would would like to play as a ten. Zayech off the right, Pulisic off the left. But then that means you're playing Werner at the top and you're playing a three at four two three one. And and then you've got to consider whether Conte and and uh, Jorginho offer enough 
defensive nous in those midfield positions and you're probably then thinking oh god I wish we bought Declan Rice to, to you know offer a bit more a bit more of a shield for a, a leaky defense it's it's almost like that they spent this summer filling in all those you know lavish attacking talents and getting them all in brilliant that's fantastic this is great we've we've replaced Eden Hazard now and then realized right at the end that oh wait a minute uh, we haven't actually got a defensive <laughs> midfielder that's going to protect these guys and are we better Find a defender quickly. Oh yeah, get Thiago Silva. He's in on a free. You have to look at it as a as a as a, as a long term project. They're still developing. They're a team in transition, etc. But they probably have to go out and buy four or five defensive minded players next summer, or in, or a couple in January or something like that. And because you know Mondi, we don't. He hasn't been tested yet, but I think there are some doubts as to whether he's a world class goalkeeper. I, I don't think. He, I suspect he probably isn't. So he might be a stopgap until they get an, an O-Black in in the years ahead. They, Thiago Silva's definitely a, a plaster. He's somebody that's going to come in and, and fill a job short term. You know, they're going to have to replace Azpilicueta at some point as well. Jorginho's obviously not... I mean, he's in and out of that team. There's a lot of doubts as to whether he can provide the sort of Declan Rice role. So it's, it's an ongoing thing. But without before they do all that, unless they do all those, sort all those defensive aspects out, they're not going to be challenging for the Premier League. And you'd have to think that they won't be challenging long-term for the Champions League either. Yeah. Do you think they'll get through the, the group, uh, Dom? Because obviously I know you've you've done some work on Ren who are in the, in the other half of that particular group. They're playing Krasnodar. Obviously Sevilla, you know, lost narrowly in extra time to Bayern in the Super Cup. Uh, they lost at the weekend to Granada, but they're, they're a decent, decent side. Do you think they'll be okay? I suspect they probably will go through, yes. Severe are the big threat, so that's a, it's a hell of a start for them in the same way that Valencia were last season when they lost at home in the opening group game. Severe, I think it's two defeats in 27 now, and a, a team with quality up and down their spine, seasoned European campaigners, albeit not necessarily at the Champions League level. Wren will be a threat, but they're very much... A, they've only got six players who've ever played in the Champions League in their squad. They've got some... Brilliant young talent. Camavinga is the one that everybody looks at, but Doku's just joined from Anderlecht as well. And they're very much a, a, almost following the Ajax model, actually. I think last season they had 10 out of 27 of their players were homegrown. They've come through their academy. So uh, I think they are, a, they're going to be a threat in the years going forward, but I think they'll take some adjusting to, to life at this level with a, a, a young head coach in, in Julian Stefan as well, who isn't used to, to coaching in the Champions League. So it's all, it's all very new to them. But you know, I, I suspect it will be between ultimately between Chelsea and Ren as to, who, as to who finishes second. And I would really hope that Chelsea's greater nous really at this level would see them through. Yeah, I just want to uh, dwell just a, for a second, if I could, Johnny, on Southampton mm. and, and specifically Ralph Hasenhutl. Do you think he's likely to emulate Pochettino and use Saints as a bit of a springboard? And objectively... Is he a better manager than Solskjaer or Lampard? Oh, I mean, I mean, the, the second part that's a, a bit of a poison chalice, I suppose, because um, <laughs> I, look, I, really, I love, I love, I love Hassan Hüttel. I think he's one of those guys that comes on your screen and you just instinctively think, I wouldn't mind him at my club. He's got, he's got that glint in his eye. He's got that, just that, yeah, just that air. He's, 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 a, he's a guy you'd kind of want to follow. And when you speak to Southampton players, they say, he's, you know, they say he's, he's. he's funny he's brilliant he's he's kind of inspiring uh, he's really popular among you know uh, among the in the dressing room there and I think we saw that when he when he dug himself back from the brink after that defeat to Leicester last year of course he's you know his, his, his CV's pretty impressive he has a very distinct brand of football and that's maybe where that your question can be answered, Mike, in terms of Lampard and Solskjaer, because you know we've been discussing Frank and his. You know, he's, he's a young coach. He's trying to grow and he's trying to find that that thing that it is that's going to be his his style and 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 how he balances everything. Hassan Hüttel's got that easy. You know, the the Klopp or the Alps, whatever you want to call him. He's he's got the in, the pressing game and the intensity and and the, the the attacking commitment. Teams are great to watch. There's an echo of Pochettino in that. You know he's he's creating a team that's so much better than the sum of their parts, but he's also getting so much out of out of players that we knew were quite good anyway, like your Danny Ings and so on. And then you look at Hoiberg going to Spurs. You know he took Hoiberg's game on. 
and produced a player that could be sold to a quote-unquote bigger club, which again is a bit like the Pochettino era. In a sane league, he would probably have a chance of one of the bigger jobs, because, but I don't <laughs> think that's how the Premier League works, sadly. I don't think he's he's sort of deemed sexy enough, but I, 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 think, he's, I think he could certainly do a job at any of those top clubs, if that's the question. Mm. If we're looking at defensive elements to the modern team, let's look at Man City, if we could, Dom. Pep Guardiola was talking up Ruben Diaz and Nathan Ake after the game on Saturday. Understandable and justifiable? Definitely understandable. I mean, not least because he spent massive amount of money on Diaz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's 100 million quid. And Ake for that, yeah. 100 million between them. And look, he's going to have to rely on them over this season because Laporte appears to be fragile. That's that's the bottom line. He, 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 great player, fantastic defender, but clearly his body breaks. <laughs> Bottom line. So they're going to be long periods of this season where that is the first choice set and a half partnership. City were City were were good at the at the weekend against Arsenal, and it's a, it's a step up going back into the Champions League, but probably not at the group stage. I think they'll they'll coast through the coast through the group, um, and he can he can even explore a few defensive partnerships and en route. I would imagine. I mean, it, it would have been reassuring for Pep Guardiola to keep that clean sheet the weekend, given some of the scarring that they've, that's been inflicted upon them already this season uh, and towards the end of last as well. Again, I think sometimes the, the balance doesn't feel right there. And I, I, probably with City, it probably comes down to defensive midfield more than anything. I, I think Fernandinho is obviously a fading force now and, and there's a lot, place, a lot of emphasis placed on Rodri, etc. Um, but... It sort of feels a bit transitional in that in that sense, and that's even after spending a massive amount of money on on Rodri. But, but finding that balance and reintegrating Sergio Aguero at the top end will will get them out of a few holes as well. And we've seen Sterling, you know, emerge as a, a reliable and a regular goal scorer. What about Mares, Johnny? It seems that he's still underestimated there, isn't he? Oh, totally. I mean, I, you know, with my Leicester hat on, I'm a, clearly I'm a huge Maris fan. I think he's, it's two things about him. I, I think, first of all, just the nature of the player he is. He, he, he's the kind of player that maybe British crowds still have a problem with for, for I don't know, cultural reasons. You know, he's delicate. He's, he's, he, he, he takes players on. By the very nature of his game, it's not always going to work. He's never going to put a tackle in for you. He's the, you know, he's the fragile, beautiful foreign flair player, I guess. And we have a love-hate relationship with those players. I would always look at what a player can do and what they can't, not not what they can't do. And and Maraz is is up there with anyone in his ability to penetrate when he's got the ball. Beautiful control, but with a purpose as well. Cuts in, scores goals. I think the creative side of his game, which has always been underestimated, because he laid on a lot of goals at Leicester and for, for Jamie Vardy. I think that's gone up a notch at Manchester City. He's arrived and managed to get ahead of Bernardo Silva in the pecking order, which is some feat because Bernardo is some player. He's scored an enormous amount of goals, created a lot of assists for City, been been really important to them, and yet he's still kind of seen as a almost seen as a you know, is he a is he a starter or a backup? There's almost a surprise when he plays, and I think he's underestimated because of that. But I also think that, that the fact that he left Leicester you know, where he could have been another Vardy, as in he could have been one of the guys with the statue outside the stadium. But he left Leicester and he joined a team that already had so many great positive players where he just became one more of the collection. And I think that's left him in no man's land in terms of which group of supporters really champion him. Because at Leicester, people think, "Mm, yeah, you know, Riyadh, yeah, yeah, thanks for 2016, but, you know, you took the money in the end, and which is, you know, they don't think of Kante, but similar happened really. And yet at City, he's kind of like, yeah, he's, he's quite good, but where's De Bruyne? You know, we love David Silva and is Sergio playing. So he's kind of in no man's land, but I think we'll look back really at, at the highlights reel and think that was some player. Mm. City got Porto at home on Wednesday. The same night, probably the game of the week, Dom, Atletico Madrid against Bayern. Bayern, business as usual at the weekend, a couple of goals each for, for Muller and Lewandowski. What about Madrid? Are you su- still surpri- surprised that Simeone's still there? Only in as much as we're not used to managers sticking about 
for long periods these days. I think he's, it just seems the right fit, the sort of, you know, the, the club, the club in the capital that, that isn't Real, the one that's always struggling against the, the establishment. I mean, that seems to, that seems to be Simeone all over, the sort of streetwise fighter in him coming through. And, and I, I, it, just, it just feels right, Diego Simeone at Atletico. And I know that over the years of, you know, even English clubs and Chelsea have, have often been linked with with him, but I just it just feels a natural fit, and he'll probably look at it and think he's still got things he wants to achieve there, not least winning the Champions League. And they're forever they're forever punching above their weight, and he's he's almost got a team in his own image. As you're thinking about it, when you have got Suarez and Diego Costa up front, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty much uh, Simeone through and through, isn't it? Yeah, obviously they've lost Thomas Partey going to Arsenal or spirited away to Arsenal. They're at Standard Liège in the Europa League on Thursday. Johnny, where do you think that competition should lie in Arsenal's priorities? They, I mean, first, it strikes me that they're well set up to do to have a you know real challenge in Europe because Arteta plays beautifully on the counter-attack. He's, he's got them to be quite tight. He's good at devising individual game plans for matches, which is a good recipe for cup success. And he's, he's got some big players there. But they have have also got a good shot at the top four, despite that loss to Manchester City. You know, they, they, they are consistent now under Arteta. They've got weaponry and they look like a, a durable team that, that could, could do well over a Premier League season. So it's balancing those two things. I mean, they don't need to win another FA Cup. Come on, Arsenal, you've had enough of them. So, <laughs> maybe, you know, they could they could probably forego the domestic cups this year and have a go at both. But clearly, the, the big picture for them has been back in the Champions League, not just in prestige terms, but we all know the finances as well of that model, that, that they've, they, they really need that now to, to kick on. Because they did actually push the boat out a bit with, with the signing of party at the end of the window and the window as a whole, including Aubameyang's re-signing, you know, while getting rid of all those staff, they did invest on the on the players' side. And, you know, what you hear from soundings around the club, that that's because the ownership really believe that Arteta, in Arteta, they found the answer now. And for, but, but for him to deliver, that, that does mean getting into the top four or getting that, you know, the Champions League by winning the Europa League. So twin track approach them, but I think they'll do well in the Europa League this year. Mm, let's nip across North London, Dom. Spurs are at home to LASK on uh, on Thursday. This could have been a completely different conversation, couldn't it? Apart from that last eight minutes against West Ham, was that a mad Premier League season in microcosm? Yeah, you could argue. I mean, Spurs actually, you could you take. The Newcastle game as well, when they dominated that match and then threw it away, and well, was it was wrested from them in the last minute by a VAR handball. Um, that those those two games probably sum up the the mad nature of 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 football at the moment, without or behind closed doors without without supporters. I mean, they were untouchable. They appeared untouchable for so long of that game. And when when Kane's clipping the the post to make it four nil. It, it, there was no way. There was no way that they were going to throw that away. I mean, I mean, Jose Mourinho team does not throw that away. But all it took was was Bal, Balbuena's first goal for the panic to set in. I, I do think, going back to one of our original discussion points, I, I do think the absence of supporters probably affects defenders a lot more than it does forwards. Without the sort of the edginess created by the atmosphere within the ground that concentration is wavering and 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 panic sets in probably a bit quicker um as as a result i mean it was it was mayhem those last few minutes i'm like okay look, lanzini's goal was absolutely outstanding and and uh, and, and a, a fitting way to claim a point as spurs as you could imagine but but it really should not have come to that spurs were so dominant even when bales bursting through to make it was it 4-2 at the time he's the mayhem of those last eight minutes was 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 quite something. But you just listen to to Mourinho afterwards, and and he's he sounds baffled by it as well. It's it's it, it must be inexplicable for him. I mean, he, he talks about he talks about mistakes being made and and, and individual mistakes, but 
you know, the, the same the same things that Frank Lampard talks about after a game. We're criticising Lampard for not being able to set up a, a team defensively. It's it's happening across the board at the moment. And Spurs have thrown away four points in those two two matches, two games that they should have won so comfortably. And and that that things like that come back to haunt ties. Yeah, well, ten games without a clean sheet, which tells you everything, I think. Just look if we could, Johnny, at Harry Kane. You know, by common consent, that was a terrific performance. What intrigues me about him is how he will actually develop as a player, because there is there are there are different elements of his game now becoming into focus, aren't there? There are. It's funny. I was watching him yesterday, and my mind just jumped to England actually, and thinking how, my goodness, Gareth Southgate could do with a really good central midfielder who can who can spray passes around. And you saw Harry put the ball, you know, almost blind fifty yards to Son for the first goal. You thought, wow, he is. I mean, he is a Teddy Sheringham in the making, but a Teddy Sheringham plus. And, and that's probably where his future lies. He is, I think he'd be devastated. You know, the, the, the paces, which was never a huge part of his game, has probably really started to go now, naturally, given his size and his, he's getting into his latter half of his 20s. And he will need to use his football brain all the more. But he's got that, he's also got that tremendous passing ability. He can, you know, he can, he can, he can. What his brain tells him, he can execute with with those feet. So I, I think he would. I look at him and think he'd be amazing in, let's say, a Liverpool system, where you know Firmino drops off and and tries to put or help put Mane and, and Salah through. And if you can imagine two really fast forwards in front of Harry Kane, allowing him to drop off and put the ball through to them, which is maybe where Mourinho is going to go with Bale and and Son, because Bale played pretty centrally when he came on. That could be his role, but on top of that, he'd be a Firmino with goals, because there's, you know, I mean, even when he hit the post, it was a terrific effort. He's he's going to be for a guy that we thought might have been a flash in the pan when he had this first good season for Spurs. You're now looking at a player that could play well into his thirties in a slightly different role. It's really impressive. Mm. Can I ask you about Leicester? Obviously, it's uh, your hometown team, or your, at the moment, anyway. They're at home to Zaria Luhansk, who I must admit I'd never heard of. Now, what as they, what it, they used to be called, mate. Uh, they used to be called. Thank you very much for this one, uh, Zaria Voroshilovograd. And actually, as every other schoolboy knows, uh, they were also known as Zaria Mals. And they play their home games in the city of what city was that? Do you think, Dom? Zaporizhia. That's the one. Uh, so apart from the, uh, the the geography lesson, Johnny, what will Leicester get out of this? Obviously, they lost to Villa, who are flying. Are they capable of going deep? Not sure. I'm not sure about Leicester this year. You know, they 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 started better than I expected, and and the last two games have been worse than I expected. I'm, I'm still not really sure where we where we are with them. They seem a work in 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 progress still with Brendan trying to reconfigure the team a little bit. But Europe's big for Leicester. It's it's you know it might be kind of old hat for the big six, but for for Leicester being in European competition and for the fan base is still quite an exotic thing, and and they'd like to make an impact. Brendan would love to make an impact because it's it's part of his uh, his kind of um, sense of himself as a manager, I suppose, as someone that can compete on the European stage. They, they've got a very I'm not saying easy group, but they've got a, a, a group that could be quite straightforward for them and get into the knockout competition stages. And they do have the weaponry to, to, to beat people with, with Vardy, if he's fit, and, and, and Madison, and players of the quality of Telemans and so on. Fafana looked good at the weekend. He looked like he looks like a, a, a pretty smart signing. I know it's only one game, but, but you hear a lot about his pedigree. For me, you know, almost as important as Vardy is Wilf and Didi, who's been out for the last couple of games and, and probably the slump has coincided with, with that. They need him back for this defensive surety. And of course, Kaglar's out as well at the moment. I think they can, de- I think they can deal with that better because Fafana's now there. I'd expect them to get through this group stage and then it'll come down to, I suppose, the, 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 the health of those, some of those players. But they, they, they do have the weaponry and I think Brendan will really go for it in this competition. This will be really high up the list of priorities. Okay, um, just a, a thought on on Villa. As I said, they are flying Dom unbeaten uh, in their four games. Okay, it's a very small sample size. What does seem really interesting is the human chemistry seems to be right. You know, 
uh, Ross Barclay seems to have come in and, and you know hit it off with, with Grealish. I've always thought with Barclay, there's a, a real player in there somewhere and he never really, he sort of pokes his head out now and again, but he never actually you know does it. Yeah, he, he did it at times at Everton to sort of set the tone and, and sort of yeah provide a, a taster of what he what he was capable of. I, I'm not sure that the move to Chelsea was ever really well thought through. It was a it was a sound investment as far as Chelsea were concerned because they got him with six months of his contract remaining or something after 15 million pounds. They were always going to make a profit if they sold him. But was he ever likely to to play regularly at Chelsea? Probably not. He's when when he builds up a head of steam. He has that sort of air of I'm unstoppable about him coming through midfield. We only ever see it in flashes, that's true. But he will play 35 games at Aston Villa this season, 34, 35 games, whatever it is. And he will showcase exactly what he's capable of. I think that was, of all the business they did, and everybody focused on rightly on Ollie Watkins, given the size of the fee, Barkley was an inspired signing, in my opinion. I just think he was he was perfect for that balance with with Grealish. They've got a holding midfielder who doesn't want to move in in Louise. He just just, sit, just sits there, and these guys can just bomb forward, and they will cause all sorts of problems to all sorts of opposition. Barkley's the way that he attacked that Liverpool game, and I, and I know I know Liverpool has a particular motivation for him to do well as an Evertonian. But he was outstanding in that match, rewarded for his performance, and then to go out and get the the, the 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 winner at Leicester as well. I just think he started like a he started so well. Like he 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 could go on and and score ten, twelve goals this season and re-establish himself in the in the England setup and and you know potentially go back to Chelsea and demand inclusion in in Frank Lampard's side. I mean that's a, that's a difficult proposition. More likely, I imagine is. Villa go out and spend thirty million, forty million pounds to make that 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 deal permanent because he's got the quality and he'll he'll carry them carry them forward this season. Yeah, I'd just like to uh, obviously pull stuff together now if I could by dwelling really on on the broader issue or the broadest issue of big picture two, if I can say so. So, you know, what will that look like? It, it seems to me that football still too enmeshed in self-interest to, to take sensible options like bringing in an independent regulator. I'll have my say a bit later on the FA. Each of us, could we just outline an idea or a principle we'd like to see emerge from the view, uh, from the review? Johnny? Well, I, I'd like, I'd wrote about this at the weekend. I'd actually like to see it done back, to flip it around. Let's, let's start talking about development. Let's start talking about players. Maybe let's start this first. I mean, we're talking, if this is, if this is, us giving us a, a wish list. That's how I'd look at it. Whereas this is this is looked at this is being looked at in terms of power and money. But I, I would I would I would start with I'd start with the principle that what we have to ensure first of all in through the pyramid, but part of that sustainability or a focus of that sustainability is developing talent and there's access to games at a reasonable price and that includes what they pay for broadcast as well. But that's exactly the opposite to, to where we are. We're going to go with big picture. The money ratio that they get from, you know, the current 1.8 to 1, i.e. they get 1.8 more times the TV revenue than the smaller Premier League clubs get. Can they get it up to 4 to 1, which is what they want? That's that's where we're going to head with this. You know, that what we saw last week was an opening gambit and, and it'll boil down to squabbling about money. But I think we should be, if we really are redrawing English football, you know, let's let, let's just look at it the other way around. Where, what do we want to do here? And the Premier League should be looking that way, but it, but of course it won't. I think there's a lot of things we're left out of the big picture, and we need to put them back in. You know, youth, grassroots, fans. Yeah, I'd agree with that, and you know, also sadly agree that it's going to come down to a, a squabble about money. Uh, what about you, Dom? Well, I'd agree with Johnny definitely on, on everything he's just said. When it, let's look at money. The sort of the, the thing that the positive that people latched onto was the twenty five percent going to EFL down the pyramid uh, in terms of television rights, etc. And and I think when actually people scrutinised it, and um, Nick Harris did a very very good look at this over the weekend, Sporting Intelligence, where he pointed out that actually <laughs> it was a bit deceptive 
some of those figures that were in the in the original plan. So I would look at that. I would I would actually I would look at that and actually take that from take it at face value. Take it at face value. I, I'm I'm all. F- I know that the the big the big six generate the the global audience for the Premier League, and I know that there are fans across Asia, across the United States, whatever, who just want to watch Manchester United or just want to watch Arsenal or whatever. But the reason the Premier League is attractive is it's it is unpredictable to a certain extent that you can see, you know, Leicester winning five two at, at Manchester City. And any any notion that the top six are going to just get more and more and more money and more and more, and more power to me, I'm, it's abhorrent. I just can't. I just can't deal with that. So I'd want to see. I'd want to see an even spread across the Premier League, and I'd want to see twenty five percent, as it stated, but le- legitimately twenty five percent of television re- revenues, international and domestic, being filtered down to the EFL. That won't happen. It's just won't happen, but that's that's what I want to see, and, and and I think that would offer the EFL a bit of surety. That's what that's what Rick Parry was was going on about over and over and over again. This will, this will safeguard a lot of clubs. Well, make that happen, make that happen, and 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 let's see where we go from there. Yeah, well, f- for me, the priority is to protect community clubs in the lower leagues. I think we're stuck at the moment in a holding pattern with the power plays within the Premier League. But beyond that, I think it's time for a long overdue revolution at the FA. The organisation is historically an easy target. It's hampered by poor leadership and an archaic structure. Greg Clark, the current chairman, has been compromised in recent days. He embodies a central problem in that he owes his power base to time servers on the FA Council. He enjoys the lucrative sinecure of a place on FIFA's executive committee, but too often he prefers the empty phrase and the hollow gesture. He needs to take action to nurture what is left of the grassroots game. And to be honest, I don't have confidence in him to do that. Without a streamlined, renewed FA, I think the grassroots game is in danger of withering and dying. Do you agree? Please let me know. And in the meantime, thanks to Dom and Johnny and to you for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.